The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. Your host is Jessica Pirro. In today's program, we will provide awareness and education on various types of crises, the impact they have on one's well-being, and provide help to empower hope for you or someone you love. This program will help you understand various types of crisis situations by hearing from experts in the crisis response field, as well as those with lived experience through a difficult time. Now, here's Jessica Pirro. Hello, everyone, and welcome. Welcome to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hopes. Thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, Today's conversation is really um, touching on uh, a topic that really hits every community across the country internationally, and that's the fight against substance abuse and addiction. But today's conversation is really going to be focusing on prevention. What are the steps that we need to take to help prevent substance abuse and addiction from happening? So just to kind of give you a little bit of a backdrop to our conversation. I know as I was preparing for the show, I was thinking back to, you know, when I was growing up and the different types of uh, prevention campaigns that um, we saw um, around Mothers Against Drunk Driving and the impact that had on so many of us when we thought about um, drunk driving, um, as well as those different commercials that you would see, like this is your brain and this is your brain on drugs, the egg in the, in the pan, um, as well as just the major campaign about just saying no to drugs. And these, I think, are vivid in the minds. And I kind of jokingly say the more you know generation, those commercials, uh, those those types of prevention efforts that um, I grew up with and and many people grew up with about not doing drugs and what impact that message had on me personally as well as my friends and family. But these campaigns are very specific about their strategies and how to prevent substance abuse and the message we're trying to get across. And we're going to talk about today the prevention approaches that we need to look at to help slow down um, the issues we've been seeing all along around alcohol abuse, but also today with such attention to um, heroin and opiate use, um, there's a lot of efforts that we need to look at when we're talking about prevention. So I have today with me my guest, um, Matthew Smith, and I want to tell you a little bit about Matt before we get started. Um, Matt has been in the field of substance abuse prevention for over 25 years, spending nearly 20 years in various positions within the Western New York community here um, in New York, um, and he worked for the Western New York United Against Drug and Alcohol abuse. And for the past six years, he's been the executive director of Prevention Focus, Inc. Overall in his career, Matt has created numerous special events, awareness campaigns, workshops, camps, fundraisers, classroom curriculums, as well as informational materials materials, and other prevention tools and strategies to get the message of prevention across. Matt currently serves as the chairman of the Western New York Chemical Dependency Consortium, which is a collaborative of nearly all the agencies 
facilities in our eight-county region in western New York that provide substance abuse treatment, recovery, and prevention. He's also uh, the Environmental Strategies and Awareness Chair for PX21, another collaborative effort of substance abuse prevention organizations in Erie County. And Matt and I actually uh, chair together the Suicide Prevention Coalition uh, of Erie County. Um, And he's also a member of the Erie County Opiate Task Force, as well as our Erie County Anti-Stigma Task Force. So has a lot of great experience to share with us today. So before we start with Matt, I just want to remind our listeners that if you do have a question during the show, we would love to hear from you. So you can email me at jpiro voiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. So Matt, thank you so much for joining me today um, for this really critical conversation for our communities. Well, thanks a lot, Jessica. I really appreciate being here. Boy, it's about time. In all honesty, to be quite frank with you, I was starting to doubt my own charisma. We go way back, you and I. Yeah. <laughs> I was waiting for this phone call, so I'm so glad to be with you here today. I had Thank you, you so on the much. list. I had you on the list. So, <laughs> so I guess really to start out this conversation, can we just kind of set the stage of what actually is substance abuse prevention? Sure. Uh, it, substance abuse prevention is a proactive process by which we're attempting to keep healthy and people healthy and bolster those at greatest risk. We, we give people the skills and the information they need to make safer and healthier choices. And we also strive to create environments where the safer and healthier choice is an easier choice and is therefore more likely. Um, People often wonder about the nature of this work and what it looks like. And one way that I like to just bring people around to understand the power of what this is, is to look at the smoking phenomena in America, right. you know, I mean, it wasn't that long ago that, uh, you know, that, that a lot more people smoked than they certainly mm-hmm. do now. And Absolutely. the Surgeon General's warning that came out that linked cancer with cigarettes uh, brought about a whole flurry of activity to get us to the point where we are now, where basically we've cut it in half, the rates of smoking in this country from 50 years ago. And it didn't happen by itself. Mm-hmm. It didn't happen without effort, but it did happen. Uh, once that general Surgeon General warning came out, somebody had the idea of making sure that that got put on cigarette packs. Well, that was an idea that then had to be put into reality. Laws had to be changed mm-hmm. and then enforced in order for that to happen. Um, when I was a kid, you could go to a, any machine in any public place and you put money in and just pulled a lever and cigarette packs came out. Absolutely. Well, people decided that those had to go. Um, people, uh, when you went to the 7-Eleven or a convenience store, the cigarette packs were right in front of the clerk toward the floor at eye level for little kids where they could easily be shoplifted and then usher in a person to a lifetime uh, of smoking cigarettes. I mean, mm-hmm. now you can't, it's gauche. You can't go to a public place and do it. Right. You, you and, and, you know, somebody thought, okay, that's a law that has to be passed and looked at. I mean, now the cigarette packs in the 7-Eleven are behind the clerk and you got to mm-hmm. ask for them and you've got to mm-hmm. show ID. Um, in addition, TV commercials like crazy over the years, mm-hmm. ad campaigns, billboards, magazine ads, people like the professionals that work in my office that go into area classrooms, do curriculum packages that uh, teach kids about decision making and setting goals and choosing friends wisely and avoiding things like alcohol, tobacco and other dangerous drugs to lead a healthier life. All this work, all this effort eventually leads to changes mm-hmm. in attitude and therefore behavior. And that's really the essence of what prevention is and can be. And I think it's interesting you mentioned the smoking piece because you do think through the years um, what a drastic change that Mm -hmm. has had and the impact um, that it's had on individuals either 
choosing to quit, mm-hmm. um, as well as just more awareness to the impacts that smoking have um, from cancer to the impacts on pregnant women and all those those factors. It's, it's a really important piece to, to highlight. So how do we know it works? I mean, mm-hmm. we, you know, that was a great example. It has shown the drastic change for smoking, for example, sure. but other types of issues with substance abuse, alcohol. How do we know that these types of campaigns actually work? Well, this is constantly changing, constantly ongoing. Uh, Different substances come to the fore, others ebb, you know, uh, you know, this is a constant ongoing process of people doing, humans doing things uh, that they feel that they need to do. And really, so much of this is about what's acceptable and what's normal on an individual level and also on a cultural level. I mean, you know, when it comes to drugs and alcohol, there's a pervasive belief that everybody does it. Now, we know that nothing could be further from the truth. Most people don't condone illegal drug use. Most people don't abuse drugs. But how do you get that reality louder? How do you get that reality more visible and more prevalent? Because people from all walks of life, but especially young people, need to feel normal whatever normal is. Right. And so mm-hmm. how do you make them understand the reality of not doing certain things, you know, um, and, and, and being in the majority and then feeling empowered to be that way and to do that? Uh, you know, people are trying to meet needs all the time. We have to look at, we look at specific substances of abuse and, 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 and issues that come along as they come along. And sometimes some strategies are designed specifically to address those particular issues in time. But we also need to look long-term mm-hmm. at why anybody, would choose to abuse a drug, any drug at all. What are those needs that are not being met? What are those issues that they're attempting to medicate or take care of? And right. where does mental health fit into all this? Where's where's the caring and nurturing environments we want to see everyone be a part of in communities and in schools and, and in family settings? You know, all of these things add up to whether or not a person makes a decision at some point in his or her life about trying substances or not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, we try, to, we try to foster all of them in the prevention movement. I mean, you know, as far as, like, specifics go, I think uh, the crystal meth issue that was happening years ago, uh, lawmakers, in order to get ahead of it in, in New York State, saw what was happening in the Midwest and created legislation limiting the number of cold medicines a person could right, buy right. in bulk at, at, at supermarkets. You couldn't go in there and clean the shelves off. And right. the reason that was done was to stop that key ingredient for meth making that could occur. And, you know, obviously there's some, some still did happen, but in New York State, we didn't get to the point where it got in, in the Midwest because of proactive steps like that, that uh, people who saw and learned from other areas implement. Absolutely. That's one environmental strategy that, that can be done another an example of this the bulk of our work is done in area schools we do model programs from kids as young as kindergarten wow. all the way yeah. up at every stage of, of a person's development there's prevention strategies and programs that are available and that's that's tough that's tough as americans we don't um we don't necessarily gravitate towards things where successes are measured in inches and not miles and, <laughs> and happen over decades as mm-hmm, opposed to mm-hmm. moments because we're a culture of sound bites and drive through windows right. and immediate you know, immediate exactly, response. Exactly. Yeah, that's, yeah. That's what's so hard. But 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 the, the bulk of the curriculum programs that we do really focus on life skills. How does a person navigate life? How does a person cope with 
bad things that may happen or difficult right. things or stressful things that will happen. So it's, it's about stress management. It's about decision making. It's about how to get along with others and resolve conflicts peacefully. Um, it's about setting goals. Mm -hmm. All of these things, when bolstered appropriately in a young person, can set them up for a whole bunch of success against any kind of bad decision or bad problem they might get involved with. And there's a, there's a universal uh, goodness that comes with succeeding in school, feeling they belong in school, and, and, and getting them on that, on that path. Conversely, a kid struggles academically very early on. A kid has social uh, problems uh, early on. That also sets them up for the greater likelihood that bad things like substance abuse could occur. Absolutely. Now, you know, I mentioned in my intro some past campaigns that mm -hmm. I know just sure. growing up had sure. an impact. Can you talk about maybe campaigns that you've seen that work and what are maybe, you know, based on campaigns you've seen, what needs to change to have an impact? Well, you, well, you, I mean, j just say no is one that has always gravitated everybody, and those of us that are, you know, yeah. have a few miles. On. <laughs> Remember when that happened? I, you know, in my field for a while, everybody was really slamming the whole "just say no" thing historically because it didn't uh, cure everything. You right, know, which is right. unrealistic. I mean, our goal is not zero percent use. We're never going to get there. For a goal to be meaningful, it has to be attainable. Right. So we are able to impact numbers in a positive way and decrease abuse and decrease negative outcomes as a result of abuse through strategies that we implement. Just say no made the cause a thing, mm -hmm. you know, which was so necessary. You know, it was Bringing an attention. articulation mm -hmm. of, hey, we have this problem at that point. It was particularly, it was crack. Yeah. Um, we have this big issue that we had better get a handle on, admit that it's there, and then start doing stuff to, to, to impact it, which the field and which communities and which lawmakers and which schools did do. Mm -hmm. um, so just say no because it got the national attention, because it got people ex you know, excited about possible solutions mm -hmm. and motivated them was, you know, a success on that level. Um, the brain on drugs, the frying pan. How many ad campaigns can you think of throughout your life that has had that kind of staying power? Right. Where right. everybody could really still picture that in their head. That it's is vivid. an incredible mm -hmm. success as far as getting the national attention, getting the consciousness, making an issue that is, frankly, not fun to talk about, not uh, easy to talk about, scary. Mm -hmm. uh, in some ways, people are just tired of hearing about it, don't want to deal with it. Uh, the, the wet blankets, we don't want to mm -hmm. stop the party, we don't want to stop the fun. To get regular people that knowledgeable about the topic you're and willing to talk about it, you have to you have to consider that that ad campaign a great success just because of the staying power, if nothing else. Absolutely. Now, ad campaigns are only one small element of, of what prevention is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's it, it needs to be done you know, in every community at the grassroots level. The national campaigns are nice because they give you a platform upon which to do your work. They give you an umbrella, a talking point, a jumping off point, a starting point. Um, so those are very, very good to do. Um, but that's only part of the overall problem solving that goes on. Yeah. Do you have an opinion about when you look at the different campaigns, and I was just thinking back to what you mentioned with the smoking campaign, and there's some mm -hmm. very, you know, really graphic commercials. Sure, sure. Is there an opinion from the prevention field about the best approach to that message? Is the scare tactic the way to go or is it really the education, information and empowerment to choose not to use? We've always been, I think most of us 
I, I don't know. I, I know. I know. I've always believed that you know, scare tactics. Generally speaking, scare tactics with young people are not necessarily effective, mm-hmm. um, especially because our field, unfortunately, over the decades has succumbed on occasion to impact over accuracy. You oh, know, which turns around yeah. and bites you. I mean, you know, to to, to get attention, the, the quest to get the attention, and now it's harder than ever because find a square inch of space that doesn't have some sort of logo on it or a moment where you're not being told something from media or, you know, to get through all the noise. Sometimes we feel like we got to do something over the top just to get seen, mm-hmm. um, just to get the moment that is necessary of focus to, grab that to do attention. something. Yeah. So I think there's a greater uh, propensity now to think about doing those kind of strategies. Again, there's not one magic bullet that's going to do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, the key is give people real information. You know, we're not we're not forcing people to live a certain way. We're trying to educate a public about the real risks and the real consequences of doing certain things. Um, let them know that there are other ways to live than that. Yeah, let them yeah. know that it's normal and right and okay to make those kinds of choices. Uh, understand and know that if one becomes harmfully involved with a substance, that it's not the end of the story, that they there is treatment and help available and, and hope and uh, recovery works and right. treatment works. Those kinds of messages are very, very important to an overall strategy. But if it was if it was simple, we would have fixed it by now because <laughs> right. it's god-awful and terrible, yeah, and we yeah. would have done that. So it's, uh, it's going to take a very complex complicated and continued complicated approach to really get to get to a better spot which we we we, we are right With, you know honestly there's a lot of great successes that this field can trumpet loudly and um we continue to apply the strategies we know how to do with whatever the the issue of the day happens to be mm-hmm. you know it's uh Again, it's factual information. It's uh, what is normal, what is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. perception of harmfulness is a big thing, especially with kids. If if we if they truly believe something could hurt them, uh, they're less likely to do it than if they think something is benign. Right, and right. That's something we're up against right point. now, big time with the marijuana issue because of you know the legislation and things that have taken place. You know, to convince a young middle school kid now that, that marijuana is potentially harmful for them is, is, is a taller order than it used to be right. because they're smart and they hear and they, and they listen to current events and that helps to shape what they are. So that's that's a challenge that our field is trying to deal with right now because wherever we send the marijuana issue, I think all of us have to agree. It's not good for kids to do. Right, right. So we want to make sure kids are getting the right information. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, what's important and you've mentioned and we'll, we'll get in a little bit more in our next segment is that it is a multidisciplinary approach, if you will, that it's not just the prevention experts that are responsible for this, but there's laws and there's policies mm-hmm. and there's there our elected officials need to have a role in this as well as, as well to have an impact um, in making these changes around um, having an impact on prevention. So um, before we uh, start to head into break, I did want to share some of our resources with our listeners that if you're listening and you want to find out some more information on maybe how to help someone you know that might be struggling with substance abuse and addiction or just to help yourself as a parent to maybe how to talk to your kids about drugs. Um, There's a bunch of resources online, but a few that we're going to highlight today is drugfree.org. And they also have the helpline, which is 1-855-DRUG-FREE, um, and they have parent support specialists that are available um, through that, that helpline. There's also SAMHSA.gov, which is S-A-M-H-S-A.gov, um, and there's information on that uh, website as well to find information on, on treatment providers. And for my international listeners, the addictionrecoveryguide.org will lead you to some of your uh, treatment locators in your countries, as well as some of the prevention information um, that 
might be helpful for you in your area. So um, we have a great discussion that we're having today. So we're going to be heading into break. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Crisis Services is Buffalo and Erie County, New York's safety net since 1968. We provide hope, safety, and immediate help 24 hours a day. If you need someone to talk to, or if you or a loved one needs immediate help, our crisis first responders are available anytime at any hour. You're never alone. Crisis Services is here to help. Call 716-834-3131. 716-834-3131. Or visit us on the web at crisisservices.org. Remember, you are never alone. Call Crisis Services 24 hours a day at 716-834-3131. Tune in every Tuesday for C. diff, spores, and more with hosts Nancy Kerala and Dr. Chandra Bali Ghosh. Our program is to provide information about C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and more. Nancy is a C. diff survivor, healthcare professional, and the founder and executive director of the C. diff Foundation. And Dr. Ghosh is the chairperson of research and development for the C. diff Foundation. Together with their guests, we'll explore infection prevention, treatments, environmental safety, and more. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time 11 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Health and Wellness. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pira. Welcome back, everyone. My guest today is Matt Smith, and he's the Executive Director of Prevention Focus, uh, Inc., here in Buffalo, New York. And we've been talking about uh, the focus on prevention when it comes to issues of substance abuse and addiction. So, um, Matt, why don't we start off with talking about what is the role of a prevention specialist? Because that's really sure. the, the positions that are doing this work day in and day out. Mm-hmm. So could you share that with our listeners? Well, I can really only talk mostly about my own agency and my own walk, but uh, the prevention specialist is a professional person who basically makes this their 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 uh, job. They go out every day uh, working on various strategies in the schools and communities of a given area um, to promote this notion of safer and healthier choices and creating environments where safer and healthier choices are easier and therefore more likely. Um, at Prevention Focus, our people, many of them are in schools. We do curriculum programs <clears throat> from kindergarten all the way up into the middle school ages. And uh, these are model programs that have a lot of science behind them mm-hmm. that are 8, 10, 12 sessions long. So we're pushing into schools, and the schools are allowing us to then do one hour or however long a class period is sessions, varying upon the grade in the school, right. to deliver information. You know, give kids practice in building these life skills like self-esteem and decision-making and problem-solving and setting goals and resolving conflicts peacefully in addition to drug, alcohol, uh, other information. 
that, that relates, mental health kind of things. How do you manage stress? How do you cope? All of these skills have been shown that if bolstered in young people, they uh, increase the likelihood greatly that they'll stay on a straight and narrow path and that they will um, you know, succeed in school and in life. And uh, primarily, we're funded to go and do those kinds of programs. But our work also involves working with media, special events, mm-hmm. uh, things to get people's attention regarding the messages that we need them to hear, uh, working with coalitions. Grassroots coalitions are huge in this issue. You know, People at the grassroots level trying to make an impact in their own neighborhoods about, uh, you know, about this issue and creating the tools that they could use, uh, the materials that they could use, working with these groups towards their action planning so that they do stuff that makes sense. And, and actually could help out the, their communities. Um, we do some work on college campuses towards underage drinking. Um, again, with mostly that's of the media campaign variety mm-hmm. because you got to bombard young people with what the norm really is. And not to digress too much, but most kids believe there's a lot more drinking and crazy uh, unsafe drinking going on than actually is the mm-hmm. truth. Mm-hmm. And so when you survey kids and get to the real information, you can create a whole campaign just based upon that real information about right. the actual use patterns and, uh, you know, make sure kids really realize and understand and know that, you know, not doing that on a Friday night, you're in the majority of kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a power to that. Um, we also do some work that, that can sometimes be um, further down the continuum. All, not all of these programs are universal. Some of them are for selected indicated populations that, that match a certain uh, risk and protective uh, kind of profile or for people who have already started to experiment different strategies for them. We have one program, a prevention focus, which I love talking about because it's been around forever. It's called Supper Club. And um, we're now doing it as a co-ed delivery, but for years it was a part of our woman-focused department, specifically for middle school and high school age girls who would come together to cook healthy meals from scratch. And it was very therapeutic because mm-hmm. as you're chopping vegetables, there's a magic to food. Mm-hmm. And as mm-hmm. they'd start to chop, it was instantly my mother this and my boyfriend that and my math teacher hates me and right. how do I handle all these things. And, you know, the value of, of, of relationships and friendship making and friendship keeping, you know, skills to help people. A lot of these things are lacking. You know, and so this would be specifically for young ladies who are either acting out, uh, having disciplinary problems in school, possibly not getting along with peers, or those who are just shut down and not engaged mm-hmm. at all and not having relationships to speak of, kind of just sitting on the sidelines, just letting life go by. Mm-hmm. So we've that's done that one for years, and that's been a very cool, cool program for us as well. But that's just prevention focus. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the uh, Erie County is fortunate in that there are numerous agencies that are funded to do substance mm-hmm. abuse prevention mm-hmm. by the New York State Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services. And uh, other counties that aren't as populous, I think, do a lot less of these hands-on model programs in favor of environmental things because you've got to work with large popula- populations of people over spread out yeah, places. Right. And how do you get people's attention? How do you get the information to people to hopefully impact their attitudes and ultimately their behaviors. Absolutely. And the environmental strategies are more often the way to go. Mm-hmm. So just a question because our listeners are throughout the country is, does every state have like an office of, of alcohol and substance abuse at some level at the state level? Mm-hmm. I mean, is that a resource people could explore to find out what's maybe in their own community? Yes, I think that's, okay. that would be viable. I yeah. do believe that New York State, though, is pretty unique. There's only a few states that do what we do in which there is a diverse 
provider network okay. at play. Mm-hmm. Uh, the way it's been explained to me is that, you know, quite often, like in, in this case, it's the Office of Alcoholism and Substance Abuse Services. A, a state would have a, an office like that in different counties where it was kind of that same central hub. In New York State, there's many different organizations yeah. that were, you know, with boards of directors that have missions that, you know, are plugging into the effort and, you know, really addressing the issues that are at their feet in their populations and in their communities and and creating and inventing uh, interesting and and necessary programs in addition to the percentage of model programs that have to be implemented for our funding. So it's a mixed bag of interesting. So you mentioned uh, when we were talking about the prevention specialist positions, they do a lot of work with schools. Mm -hmm. And engaging schools is a process, I'm sure, to be able to get buy-in from the administration as Mm -hmm. well as the the teachers to allow that to, you know, happen in the classroom or their curriculum. Any advice for maybe a community that's listening that's having maybe a hard time connecting with a school? Like, what's been successful for you when you've tried to connect with schools? That's a really good question, Jessica. Well, with the media over standardized testing. And I use the word mania on purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there is, uh, it's harder to get access yeah, yeah, than that it makes was it in the past. Um, you've got to really make a case to boards of education, principals, people in leadership positions that there is a link to academic achievement from what you do. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we many studies have shown the necessity of social and emotional uh, elements of a student's life in order for them to be successful. These are significant impediments to learning that many kids have. And if you're able to demonstrate that you're doing programs that help will address some of those impediments and then ultimately lead to greater academic achievement and that you share that that is your goal and you want to be a partner with your schools, uh, that's always got to be part of the conversation for a successful partnership. Absolutely. And it's a a nice segue to my next question. Um, When you talk about the emotional care of a student or an individual, um, mental health plays a big part of this as well. What what does substance abuse, how does that relate to mental health? What How do you kind of present that information when it relates to, to mental health? Well, I think that, you know, in, in the treatment uh, world, from what I've seen, happily, uh, there's become a greater acknowledgement of the co-occurring issue and, mm-hmm. and, and, and really it's chicken or egg, right? Whether a person presents that is now having a mental health problem as a result of their substance abuse or they are abusing substances to self-medicate dealing with mental health issues, Whatever. you got to handle both of those things to really be successful and get a person on a successful path for recovery. I think that, you know, in prevention, uh, because of the siloed natures of funding, and, and, you know, honestly, money had to be freed up. Money had to be targeted and earmarked. These bureaucracies that we deal with are crucial because if they didn't exist, there'd be no money flowing to pay for the the programs and strategies that need doing. So I, I say all this acknowledging the importance of that. But I think that what we're seeing on a national level, and I believe hopefully on a state level, is the necessity to handle both on a prevention, um, public education kind of level. And, you know, with substance abuse prevention, we have a particular brand with a track record. We have an ability to measure outcomes. We have an ability to uh, show some degree of successes with topics as they have come and gone uh, over time. And we can apply what we know to mental health Mm -hmm. and other related general health kind of issues because the ability to make a decision, if you're working with a young person and they are not wired necessarily, they are not miniature adults. Mm -hmm. They have a different kind of brain than you and I. Absolutely. And that's necessary and that's cool. I think we forget that sometimes in this, you know, we have to remember that. We see them through our adult eyeballs and and can't help but react to them and not understand why they do what they do. They're (laughs) they're not the same as as, as adults are. 
if you can take a person and help them along with the decision-making process when they are not necessarily wired because of their, where they are in their maturing process to make decisions well, you set them up for an incredible potential for successes because those same skills that we're giving in substance abuse prevention programs apply to whether you join a gang or have unsafe sex or throw a rock for a window or sass back. Right. You know, right. all these things apply yeah. and have a value. Uh, for, for them. So there's definitely an interrelationship. And honestly, I say to my, our people all the time, I mean, these opportunities of focus, these, whether it's the, the, the getting the classroom time that's sufficient to complete a program in its entirety or the mom that takes two buses to get to your program on anger management after hours, these moments are hard done by. And when you have them, mm -hmm. you have an obligation to do as much good as humanly possible while you're at it. Absolutely. So Absolutely. we promote everything that we see. We, we try to be multifaceted in our approach. I refer to it as a quiver of arrows. I want our people trained in multiple strategies and multiple techniques and multiple curriculum. They're not just a curriculum walking into a school. They bring with them knowledge and expertise and experience. And we do what needs doing. Yeah. You yeah. know, for people that are there to the best of our ability. And, you know, the trick is doing enough of it with the resources that you have. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one piece with the connection with mental health I just want to highlight is, and you mentioned this earlier, is sometimes the self-medication that happens with alcohol or drug use um, because of the challenges that they're dealing with, with a mental health condition and or any type of trauma that they've experienced. You know, we've seen that when an individual um, is exposed to a traumatic situation, um, they might start drinking, they might start using because it's helping to kind of calm them um, as well as try to kind of take them away someplace else from their own thoughts right here and now because of the concerns that they're dealing with with their mental health or trauma. So it is so critical and it's really, um, you know, I applaud you for, for taking that broader perspective. Because when, like you said, I mean, it really does speak a lot that when you have people in front of you, you want to be able to help with whatever they're presenting with. You know, it might not be the substance abuse. Maybe they're they're talking about thoughts of suicide, which I know you've taken a huge initiative to have your staff trained in suicide assessment and awareness. Um, so it's really taking advantage of being kind of a, a wealth of information for that person while you have them in front of you for a half hour, 45 minutes to try to have that, that impact and maybe help them um, become more informed to make a decision that's going to help them on a, half, a healthier path um, in their life. So, you know, you know, I started in the beginning of the show and we've done a few shows. We've talked about the impact of obviously heroin today and, and the crises that we're seeing across the country. Although, you know, I've had people talk about, well, this is similar to the crack crisis, you know, crack in the 80s and, and the impact that we've seen there. Um, where do we stand right now with prevention efforts around the heroin and the pain medications and the things that we're seeing day in and day out on the news today. Well, well I'm proud and happy to say that New York State is being held up as an example to other states at the at the federal level uh, with some of the, the steps that have been taken. I, our uh, Governor Cuomo was in town a couple of weeks ago to um, to unveil some of what's been called the combat heroin legislation that has taken place. And, and some of these are, are very, very practical approaches that uh, are going to have, I think, significant impacts in what's going on. I think that, you know, one thing we need to remember about heroin is in some ways, to some degree, we have prescribed ourselves here because people need to know and understand that prescription pain medications that are opiates, it's the same thing as heroin, just in a right. different form. Right. And that equals sign the public needs to be aware of and know and understand. Mm -hmm. And when people present for treatment for heroin addiction, 
many of them. I think I think seventy percent lately. As if I, I hate numbers, Jess. But, <laughs> but I believe that the governor in his speech did say seventy percent of those uh, in in New York State that were presenting with heroin addiction, their first opiate experience was a a prescription right. painkiller medication that they took as prescribed by a doctor. Mm-hmm. Now. We need to learn from this. I think we, as a, as a culture and, and, and in medicine, there was not an understanding of the, 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 the dangers of these, of these medications. And, and honestly, no one is saying those who need medications for chronic pain right. that are in that situation, uh, no one's trying to take that away from people at all. I, I think that some of the changes that are being made is basically how do you get to do you how do you make that choice initially yeah. is it is it is it the right choice for everybody right away and some of the legislation has called for some fundamental changes no longer will there be a 30-day supply mm-hmm. as the norm for a person who presents with a new condition just had the operation just had the tooth pulled uh, it's going to be seven days instead and, and, and why is that important well because person got a tooth pulled, they got 30 pills, they took one, they left it sitting around in the medicine cabinet, right. and before you know it, your, 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 your nephew's friend who you don't know comes over, uses your bathroom, your pills are gone, they're getting diverted and abused and, and creating addiction and all those sorts of things. So how, you know, the, the, this kind of legislation is prevention, and that decreases the number of pills that are out there that could be diverted the to access, abuse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, another thing is a key element of the new legislation is is is, uh, is doctor education, mm-hmm. ongoing education on addiction. It's, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so to understand more about the, the dangers of these drugs and other things that could be done in place of them for some patients. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's a multifaceted approach. Some of these things are very, very practical. We've got to get better at disposing of old medications and yeah. not leaving them laying around. I mean, we're, we're in, in New York State, there's more and more of these prescription drop boxes that are available 24-7 that are in police stations, sheriff substations, uh, where people can go anonymously and drop off old meds and those get incinerated safely and it's the best way to do it because if you just flush them down the toilet or your sink, they can end up in the water supply. And right. Which causes another problem. Yeah. Which we don't want to be doing. <laughs> right. And, you know, so this is... This this is all good, but that takes, again, somebody has to come up with the law. Someone has to then enforce the law. Someone has to educate the public about the law so that a new normal can result, which then improves the situation and impacts the overall behavior. Right. And that, in its, in its core, is prevention. Yeah, and it's such a process, like you said, having so many layers of different mm-hmm. um involvement from the our legislation to our local communities and then just as a community member what can you do perfect example is disposing of unused medications i mean that's a simple step they can have a huge impact because it's reducing access to a young child or a teenager who might start to take it because it's you know out of dare or you're just to have fun and then all of a sudden the addiction starts to to take hold of them um, i think that it's it just shows that we all have such a huge role um, individually and collectively in trying to be part of the prevention effort mm-hmm. when we're talking about substance abuse and addiction. So um, we're going to be heading into break in just a few uh, seconds here, but I just want to remind our listeners that there are some resources you could be tapping into to find out more information for yourself or someone that you love who might be dealing with uh, drug addiction or substance abuse. Uh, there's a website that's drugfree.org, um, and they also have a helpline that's available, which is 1-855-DRUGFREE. 
free, which is 1-855-378-4373. And they have parent support specialists available uh, to talk with you. And for our international listeners, there's a website called addictionrecoveryguide.org that you can tap into to check out to get more information. So we um, you know, have, have touched on a lot, but we still have a lot more to talk about. So we're going to be heading into break. So please stay tuned. You're listening to The Journey, Stories of Crisis and Hope. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. We are bombarded with information daily about happy life strategies, beauty products, and business success ideas. Are they truly going to make a change or just take the change out of your pocket? Tune in to Shelly's Show and Tell with host Shelly Hancock. Shelly will explore and recommend proven business ideas as well as show you how to use the law of attraction to create health, happiness, and a prosperous business. Listen Mondays at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. The root causes of disease can be better prevented and cured using an integration of modern medicine and holistic healing techniques. Become educated by tuning in to Generation Regeneration with Sandra Guy Malhotra. Conventional medicine does have its place, but it should not be the only course of action. It's all about regenerating and healing our whole selves through better choices in lifestyle, foods, spiritual connection, and stress management. Tune in every Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to The Journey, stories of crisis and hope. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments about the show. Please send an email to jpirrovoiceamerica at gmail.com. That's J-P-I-R-R-O, voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the journey. Here again is Jessica Pirro. Welcome back, everyone. Um, today joining me is Matt Smith, who's the Executive Director of Prevention Focus, Inc., which is a prevention organization here in Buffalo, New York, um, that really fights every day uh, to deal with substance abuse and addiction um, in our communities. And we've we've had a great discussion about the role of prevention um, and what actually that means, I think, is important to understand. So one thing that I'd like to start off this segment is talking about stigma and how that impacts um, prevention efforts as well as people even just seeking help or reaching out for help. What are your thoughts around that? Oh, stigma is the horrible rock that all of us that are attempting to do work in mental health and in substance abuse bounce into on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. And until we really get that under control and make some significant pro- uh, progress with stigma, we're going to really be limited in what the scope of what we're able to do because we've we got to get to a place where help-seeking and help-giving is the norm if we're going to make progress in areas that we need progress in. And stigma is, is the major impediment. I mean, as long as there's an overriding feeling of uh, those people mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. they, you know, they made their bed, they should lie in it. Right, right. Uh, it, it stops people from giving help. It stops people from seeking help because of the shame and because of the worry of what it would mean for their family, for people to know. It stops people from donating. It stops funding sources. It stops governments from saying, okay, let's give the resources that are needed uh, to really get ahead of the issue, you know, it, it's at the heart of all of it, and it has to be addressed because we have to get out of Moraltown 
and into medical land mm -hmm. because you know addiction is a disease right. mental illness is real these are medical issues that affect many 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 people and you know you wouldn't stigmatize a person for diabetes right. or for for or for heart issues you know and it's the same thing and we got to get ourselves to a place where that is the pervasive belief um, to get to a better spot because the moralizing and, and condemning and finger wagging doesn't get us anywhere. Absolutely. And I think it's just too that compassion to understand where this person was at, where they're at today, what might have happened to them, what other issues they're dealing with. Mm -hmm. We never know what somebody's dealing with. You might see somebody on the surface, but you always, you never know what they're dealing with every day and how they're just living and coping every day. And a lot of people that are addicted or, or use alcohol, sometimes it's just a way to get through the day mm -hmm. um, when they're dealing with other challenges, um, with their families, uh, with their relationships. Again, I, I go back to trauma. I am such a proponent of about the impact of trauma on, as ki on kids and how that plays out in their adulthood and why there's different disease and addiction that plays out. I think we just have to take a step back sometimes and realize that this is just another human being who may be struggling and how to share your strength with them to kind of give support to help them maybe get to the next step that will help them get the strength and support they need to live a healthier life um, and a more productive life. I mean, there's just such an impact that we see for individuals individuals with untreated addiction as well as untreated mental illness. Um, so when we talk about campaigns, you know, and we talk about this in all different forums, the messaging of the campaign and, and safe messaging um, is important. But can you explain what that means? Because to us, we understand that language, safe sure. messaging, but maybe to a listener who's, you know, a community member that hasn't heard that before, what does it mean to be have a safe message when you're talking about prevention? Well, I think that, you know, there's information that people need, and this is a double-edged sword in substance abuse because, you know, it, it's always very tempting to sound the alarm because we have to make people care. We have to people, this is a big deal. This is a, a horrible thing. We need to know about this. And using fear and, you know, in order to, and drama in order to get people to pay attention is often used. However, when you go down that road, you can lead inadvertently to messages of hopelessness, mm -hmm. to messages of normalcy and what's and what's just acceptable. People kind of get numb to it after a while. Yeah. If you're bombarding people all the time with the sheer number of people who are addicted or the sheer number of people who overdose or the number of people who use, it those numbers in of themselves seem gigantic and astronomical and therefore insurmountable right. and normal after a while because you get desensitized. Just the way it is, Just right? Just the way it is, yeah. shrug, move along. And that is extremely detrimental to the prevention effort. So we have to find ways to make sure that we trumpet successes that are true and real. And we have to make sure that we talk about normal uh, behaviors that, uh, you know, that don't involve substance abuse mm -hmm. and don't involve trouble and bad. And you know, and, and I, and our, our friends in the news media are tremendous allies, but also are a part of this issue because when you see that criminal act over and over and over again in your brain, it's not just one act. It's as if you saw thirty different acts, and yeah. it becomes like the thirty of them happened as opposed to just the one. And you know, that's that that creates attitudes. You know, there is fallout from that. 
And how do we get over that? How do we get to a better place with that? It's an ongoing discussion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that, like you mentioned, that sense of being overwhelmed by this has happened again or these issues are going on. There's nothing we can do to change it. It's just the way it is. Mm-hmm. You know, we kind of become very um, comfortable, not maybe intentionally, but comfortable that this is just the norm. Uh, you know, it really can stall efforts to to make an impact. So, you know, sharing the hope and the stories of success. And I don't know if we hear enough about those, you know, in this, in this field, um, we tend to be very responsive instead of that, you know, prevention mindset, um, which I think is, is part of, part of our work to try to change that and get people to think a little bit differently when we're talking about these different issues. That's why we're so upstream with this, Jessica, because this is, this is, again, this is countercultural and this is, humans are naturally reactive. You know, you're going to deal with whatever's slapping you in the face, really. And we're asking people to do the mental gymnastics of, being looking into the future and doing things right now that could, you know, impact things down the road. And that's just not something we normally naturally gravitate towards. Right, right. So for a listener who's who's tuning into us today who is actually struggling with a substance abuse or mm-hmm. addiction mm-hmm. problem, uh, what message would you have for them? Well, th- one thing I think that everyone has to realize and know is prevention works, treatment is effective, and people recover. Mm. Um, that's so true and needs can't be said often enough. Right, right. Um, the, the problem that we've always had, and I've said this to anybody that cares to listen to me, um, <laughs> is that we, we this stuff works. We just don't do it hard enough or long enough because of lack of resources. And, uh, you know, the thing is we need to make a decision and stay a course and actually get these things done. I would just tell anyone who has a loved one that uh, is struggling or if they themselves are struggling – these things tend to not get better by themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is professional help that is out there. Please have the courage to make that initial phone call and get a process going mm-hmm. because every day is a day, is a day lost. And right. the longer it goes, the worse it can get. And, you know, tragedies happen all the time. And uh, get help. Is relapse common mm-hmm. in recovery around addiction and substance abuse? Because I think that that's an important conversation. I, oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, you know, I think that a lot of times it's, it's kind of like, um, you know, you got to take care of this or if you go back, we're not going to help you. And, and I, I just wonder what message there um, to help educate our community more about similar to other types of disease. Relapse happens and it doesn't mean that they're not successful in the steps that they did start to take. Um, It's just that they might need to reset and start over um, for a more successful recovery. But I mean, it is common to see relapse in in addiction. It is. And and honestly, I think I was at a conference in Washington some months ago and I believe I heard a doctor talking about how in the case of heroin, how withdrawal symptoms, mm-hmm. really uncomfortable sickness, difficult symptoms a person has in withdrawal from, from the drug can persist for months and months, even up to a year after their last use. That then says to me, why are we still doing treatment models that are measured in days? Yeah. You know, so again, we're back to our hard enough, long enough, <clears throat> committed enough committing enough resources enough to get there, Mm -hmm. you know? So uh, honestly, yes, it is a part of the process. People do eventually get there. Um, This idea of being punitive with approaches and, you know, throwing people aside when they, when they relapse, when their brain has been altered and they are doing things because they feel sick. 
you know, we have to have we have to shift our mindset towards a more compassionate and realistic view of this whole process in order for us to be successful. Absolutely. So for our parents that are, are tuning in today, what are some important messages for them to hear or be aware of, um, or maybe just tips on how to talk to their kids about sure. drugs and alcohol? Well, talking is, of course, huge. It's absolutely huge. One thing I will say to parents, if you suspect there's a problem, there's a very good chance there is one. Mm. So listen to that voice in your head. It's a very smart person. That person is you. And you could very well be right. So don't just let it go. Don't just pretend and hope it goes away. Do some investigation and then make some phone calls and then do some things to get people, get, get, get the problem, uh, problem solved. Talking is the biggest strategy I could stress to anybody, any parent. Kids who, who in surveys for decades, kids who report that they do not do drugs, list the number one reason they don't do them is they don't want to disappoint mom and dad. Yeah. And in this era of peers and media, we sometimes sell ourselves short as parents as far as our impact and our role. The trick is you got to start with, start when they're really, really young yeah. because they're learning about it on the school bus and on the playground, you know, in elementary grades. You got to have the frank discussion so they get the real information and not misinformation from a friend okay or what they what they might get misconstrued from media messaging or whatever and you talk to you're literally blue in the face i mean we do it about every other subject area you gotta do it about this one too yeah. i don't want you to do this here is why um, i care about you i want what's best for you if you do do this there will be consequences and here's what they are that kind of dialogue held over and over and over again throughout a person's development is a, is a big big help in prevention. Yeah. Now, again, some, some people, anyway, I mean, there's nothing 100%, but I, what I can say to parents is, you know, in, in surveys, parents will tell you up and down, my kids know how I feel about substance abuse, and then we survey kids and they say, I don't know how they feel about substance abuse, we never talk about it. Mm -hmm. So you've got to do it tons of times. It doesn't work with just one. Right. It has to be told all the time or if you're silent on the issue then the perception is it's no big deal and I don't care right, don't care. right. so you've got to talk and it's uncomfortable but do it and, and actually there are people on that hotline you talked about who can help you have that conversation and give you tips and I think it's important you know the website we gave out the drugfree.org um, there's a lot of information on how to talk to children and, and also the developmentally appropriate way right. and as you mentioned you're starting you know with some of your efforts in kindergarten right. so how to make sure that the messages getting across that they're going to understand it developmentally is going to be re really critical and then how to build on that year after year till they get to a point where that conversation could be a little more direct about drugs, alcohol, but it's building the the, the choices that, that are, your child is making plays into um, the impact of potentially them using in the future. So there's a lot of education and tools out there that parents can definitely tap into. So um, I wanted to take just a few minutes because um, we're fortunate to have a national conference that's actually going to be hosted here in Buffalo, New York in September. Um, and so I just wanted you to share a little bit about the conference and we'll, we'll share the website as well if anybody's interested in registering. But um, we'd love to have you come to Buffalo to oh, check great. out our area, and but also to really attend this amazing conference. The MPM conference is wonderful every year. People just rave about this conference and it moves around to different cities every year and moves around. And we're very fortunate that it's coming to Buffalo, New York this September. Um, September 13th, 14th, and 15th, I believe, um, at the Buffalo Convention Center. Mm -hmm. And it is really a who's who of, of prevention. You know, uh, 
many, many, many impressive people from all over the country. I think some international experts as well Wonderful. Uh, that will attend this year. And uh, anyone that uh, has any interest at all uh, about prevention, about substance abuse prevention, it would be a good three days. Plus, you get to see Buffalo, which is always good. Yeah, yeah we got a lot going on here in Buffalo. And for those that haven't been here, it's an awesome time to come check us out. And also, I think just any conference is bringing together your peers to have dialogue and conversation and get ideas that you can bring back to your own communities. I mean, I think that's always important to help us continue to move our message forward by learning from others. And it's exciting that we'll be able to not only highlight our community, but also the experts. I know you're a speaker, a presenter at the conference. So um, really Mm -hmm. highlighting the work that we're doing locally here in Buffalo. I'm really proud of that. Mm -hmm. I mean, uh, congratulations. And it's great that you're one of the presenters. The website for the conference is npnconference.org. I guess it's straightforward, npnconference.org. So check out the information um, and consider maybe attending if you're a prevention expert that you're listening in today um, to really come together with your peers. So um, I want to just remind our listeners the resources that are available. Um, The drugfree.org website has a lot of great information. They also have a helpline, which is 1-855-DRUG-FREE, 1-855-378-4373. And for our international listeners, there's the addictionrecoveryguide.org. So I want to thank Matt again for joining me today. And I want to thank you all for tuning and for another episode of the Journey Stories of Crisis and Hope. Uh, you join me every week Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. And again, if you have any questions or comments, I'd love to hear from you. So email me at jpirovoiceamerica at gmail.com. So thanks again for tuning in and do your part this week to provide hope to others. Thank you for tuning in to the Journey Stories of Crisis and Hope. Please join your host, Jessica Pirro, for another edition of the program next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll see you here next week.